Hi, I'm Kim Polishuk. And I'm Jen Giffen from Shooks and Giff, the podcast. A part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Kathy Fleischer and Entero Garcia, the authors of Everyday Advocacy, Teachers Who Change the Literacy Narrative. Great ideas. Awesome talk. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Kathy Fleischer is a professor of English education and writing studies at Eastern Michigan University, where she co-directs the Eastern Michigan Writing Project and serves as faculty associate for the Office of Campus and Community Writing. She has taught courses, led workshops, and written widely about teacher advocacy for the past decade. Her other scholarship focuses on community literacy, teacher research, and writing teacher education. Antero Garcia is an assistant professor in the Graduate School of Education at Stanford University, where he studies how technology and gaming shape both youth and adult learning, literacy practices, and civic identities. And today we're talking about their book, Everyday Advocacy, Teachers Who Change the Literacy Narrative. Kathy and Antero, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hi, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you being here and uh, enjoy the book. And, uh, and, and so what I want to do as we get into it is, uh, is this. Let's start by talking about the difference between advocacy and everyday advocacy. So where are we going to go with that? So advocacy, I think, seems like this big, scary word, right? <laughs> it's what those paid organizers and lobbyists do to get bills passed or organize marches with thousands of people in the street. But there's a ton of examples in the world of folks who use their voices and tell their stories as a way of creating change and who do so as part of their everyday life. Um, and that's what we mean when we're talking about the term everyday advocacy. Awesome. Awesome. And, uh, you know, it, and, in, and so what I'm going to do is we're going to take a look at a couple of the chapters and some of the topics coming here. And so with this being said, and by the way, yes, there is a scary part to that when, like you said, when teachers might be going, what exactly are you talking about? So I appreciate you explaining that. You know, in chapter one, this is noted, throughout this work, we have come to rely on three core ideas surrounding advocacy that have informed both how we talk about advocacy and how we work with teachers. A, the importance of, of story, B, the importance of identifying and framing an issue, and uh, uh, the third one, C, the, the importance of grassroots situational approaches to change. Could you share a little about each of these core ideas? Yeah, I'm on this one too. Um, so yes, uh, those are the core elements that really helped us think about what advocacy is and have helped shape our vision of what advocacy can be. And so the first one, the importance of story. So we know that stories are how we communicate with others in order to let them know our experiences and thinking and ultimately to find shared values, right? Um, we rely a lot on the work of Marshall Gantz um, and he talks about the idea of storytelling of three parts, the story of self, the story of us, and the story of now. And what he means by that is when we start by the story of self, like that's our individual story, our story as a teacher, the stories of our classroom, the stories of our kids. And then we move to share those with others. We come up with a story of us. 
right? The story we together as teachers hold in common. What are those shared values that go across that? What are the things that we have in common? Even if the story, individual story isn't exactly the same, the values that underlie it, we can start to identify when we work together. And then Gantz moves us to the idea of the story of now. And that's where those shared stories and values lead us forward in making change. So that's the idea of the story of self, um, or the, of storytelling and the story of self, us, and, and now. The second core idea, the importance of identifying and framing an issue. Um, we know that as teachers, we're immersed in these shared values, as well as language that's common to our vocation and discipline. So for example, if I say writing workshop, or if I say grammar and context, or I say own voice texts, um, teachers that I know, teachers that I work with, we share the values on that. We know what we mean by that. But not everyone in the world knows what I'm talking about then, right? And so we have to start thinking about how we frame our concern in a way that speaks to others, to others who come from different backgrounds, different understandings, different knowledge bases. So it's how do we draw upon the values that others bring to the table, think about our own values, and find ways to explain our issues in ways that will make sense to people who have different ways of thinking in the world. So that's a uh, framing an issue part. The third part, the grassroots situational approaches to change. Um, there are just so many tools at our disposal about how to reach others. Um, there's so many organizers out there who have written a lot about this. And we spent some time thinking and studying and, and learning what other organizers are doing. So in the book, we try to share some of the tools that we think will help teachers make change. You know, What are the specific ones that organizers have developed that will really speak to teachers? And from simple things like how do you raise awareness, you know, to how do you identify decision makers, how do you find allies, um, how do you narrow an issue to something that's actually doable and not pie in the sky, how do you create a plan or strategy, and how do you determine the just right tactics that will work in your local contexts. Um, and what we love is that teachers have used a lot of these, but they've also figured out so many other imaginative ways to use the tools of advocacy that fit for them and that work in their local levels and contexts. Excellent, thank you. And so I think those are key understandings that people need to have as they get into your book and, and, and uh, um, as we talk about uh, everyday advocacy here. So good stuff. You know, so what I'd like to do is let's stop for just a minute and look at this thought. Why should a teacher care? I mean, why should telling a story matter? I mean, what would you say to an educator who says, I just want to teach, not be a lobbyist? I think it's, it's the kind of sentiment that I think a lot of new teachers might come into practice with. But unfortunately, it's just not a place that the teaching professional, at least here in the U.S., uh, allows us to function, right? That uh, teachers are, are trained with a particular kind of expertise and Oftentimes, uh, school systems and policies may not be uh, uh, set up in a way to allow them to really express and guide and move in the best interests of what they know uh, is necessary for their classroom and for their students. And so the, the ways that we want, we might want to say, you know, I'm not really interested in this advocacy thing. I don't really care about the story stuff. That's, that, that is kind of um, a disregard for what our responsibilities are to the children, the in loco parentis kind of oath that we take, right? The, the guide of why, of why we do what we do. And so this isn't about a choice of if I want to do this, if I don't want to do this, we're here to guide how do we do what we do best as teachers, as English teachers, as uh, cross-content areas, but I think we, we 
primarily focus on on secondary English for this book. Uh, and so, you know, this is about a reframing and a recentering of the professional expertise of teachers as a profession. Uh, and the work that we do is, is in solidarity with, with the labor movement of teachers, even if it is about the kind of little a, little a everyday advocacy, right? There is still a recognition about, you know, who we are and, and the responsibilities that we take in this profession. That's awesome. You know, and, you know, one of the things that it makes me think about when I, when I read this section is that it, uh, if you don't tell the story, other people tell it then. And, and that's generally not a nice thing either when the other people tell it. And they're actually the ones in there working with the children and everything. It's like, come on, man, we got to tell you, you got to get out there and, and talk and tell them what's really the, what's the real thing. So, you know, just like this world we're in right now with the, you know, the, um, some face-to-face, -face, some virtual, some, you know, combination of all of the above and, uh, you know, bringing people back and forth. I think, uh, you know, if, if the, those who are working with the kids aren't telling the story, then somebody else is, and they're usually not the ones with the kids. <laughs> so. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, I, I hear so many, so much from teachers who are frustrated that so many of the screens are black and the kids are muted on Zoom right now. And I think part of this, in my opinion, and this isn't in the book, right, this was written pre-pandemic, uh, is that, you know, we spent five or six months over the summer allowing uh, non-educators to focus on the logistics of opening school without thinking about the practical guidance of what does good pedagogy say? What does our expertise as teachers mean? And I could imagine we could have had a very different kind of process of reopening, whatever that might mean, if we'd centered the kinds of principles of everyday advocacy in those, in those practices. I like that. I like that. You know, something that is really awesome is that you included a template for creating an action plan as well as a sample action plan, which I like that because not only the here's here's a template to look at, but here's an example of how someone's completed it. All right. Um, can you talk a little bit about the idea to include the template and how it can help the reader? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm really glad you like the template. And I would say it's a it's a growing and changing document. Um, all the time as we learn more, you know, as teachers try it and they're like, hey, this doesn't work for me. What about this? And so it's been growing and changing. But um, uh, thank you, because I think it's a really important part. Um, you know, it gives people a place to start, right? It gives people a place to start thinking about how to do this, because if you just think of advocacy writ large, it's kind of a big chunk. So doing the template, um, I think, really helps people organize their approach. So in the template, we talk about things like, um, identifying your issue, identifying the specific audience that you want to reach, and then what tactics might work for those people. Um, figuring out a timeline that's got um, short-term, mid-term, you know, long-term plans for doing that, and how that timeline can help keep you on track. Um, I think what's really important about that is when people see things like, oh, I want to shift the conversation on standardized testing, right, which is a gigantic thing to do. And we help people figure out how to narrow that and figure out a frame for that, et cetera, et cetera. But it still seems huge. And if you have a template like this that says, in September, I'm going to do this that helps me change the conversation. In October, I'm going to do this. Next semester, I'm going to do this. Um, it really helps teachers be able to celebrate the short-term goals that they've reached and feel good about that. And then set the pace for going to the next goal and the next goal and the next goal. Um, so I think it's been really helpful to teachers to do it that way. Um, we included um, an example from a teacher who had done it in a really cool way um, that I think can, you know, it's, it's one way of doing it. It's not the only way of doing it, but it can help organize teachers. Most definitely. And that's what I like about it because it's, it, you know, a lot of times it's, you know, if I only had an idea of where to start, if I only had, 
you know, this, or if I only had that. And so you've answered that question. Here you go. You know, here, here take a look at this. And now you, so now you have an, an idea and here's who's someone who filled it out. So, you know, and I, I just think that takes away that. So it's one of those things, you know, whether I'm booed or hissed at because I am a former high school principal, <laughs> but, the, um, you know, a lot of times when you're trying to, you're looking at getting teachers to look at something. If you have something like that, a template, it's very helpful because then it, it, it can help them bring it to the forefront for a priority. So I like it. Good stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that I'd like to uh, talk about here is in, in chapter two, titled Working in Ways That Are Smart, Safe, Savvy, and Sustainable, which I love this, by the way. <laughs> I love this. This chapter's awesome. Um, my, not that others aren't, by the I don't want to imply that. This is, <laughs> but this one really grabbed my attention in multiple ways. And uh, yeah, my favorite part is a section on working in ways that are smart. Excellent advice. Could you put this in context for listeners? Yeah, so the four S's, the S, it seems like the, the snake chapter, maybe, nice. is our acronym. Uh, I, think, I think the smart, the context of, of trying to be working in a way that is smart is really about, again, this, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it's really about building off of your expertise as a teacher. And so part of this is, I know my local context. I know what my school community is like. I know these particular students, and I know you know, this particular time and place, 2020 is such an exceptional year. No one else has ever taught in this context except for the teachers who are teaching in this context now. We, we should probably trust their intuition, their instincts. Uh, and so uh, in addition to uh, my own expertise, part of being smart is also asking for other people's perspectives, trying to get the kind of Rashomon, like what, other, what have other people seen and how are they interpreting this as well? And so asking around, building up different kinds of perspectives as well, as well as doing a little bit of local history digging, right? Is there, are there archives I can look into? Uh, when I worked at a high school in South Central, I'd oftentimes take my students to there was a closet in the library and it had all of the yearbooks um, from past years and they would look at it and kind of um, get this kind of tacit history of what 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 the history of South Central looked like right over uh, over nearly a century at the time right they could just see uh, the space go from a much wider demographic to uh, a blacker demographic in the 60s and 70s and 80s right to a much more Latinx demographic during the time that I was teaching and they were able to just get this kind of knowledge to understand who we are as a community and how we might have gotten here uh, so in that localized context right being smart was understanding who we are where we might have come from and building off of my own, uh, you know, my own expertise as, as an educator. And from there, being able to think about the kinds of plans I might engage in as an advocate. Love it, love it. And I would add also to that, Ontario, um, the idea of there are lots of organizations in the world that can help you get smarter about things too. So we think about the National Council of Teachers of English. We think about the National Writing Project. We think about these other organizations where there are like-minded teachers that you can learn along with. So understanding your local context and then understanding the field of English education or literacy, I think is a super important way. So, you know, you want to really know your stuff. So if somebody comes to you and says, no, no, not this, that, you have both your expertise as a teacher and the expertise of those organizations behind you um, and what research tells us. And I, just as a, an experience, I mean, one of my, um, the first school I was principal of, and I'm a former history teacher, by the way, and, uh, um, and, and one of the things that uh, I ran into was a discussion between the English depart departments of the entire county 
And basically, I'm being nice because it was more of an argument and yelling about books. All right. They wanted to, it was a discussion about what books they were going to focus on and, and changing the topic and all this sort of stuff. And, and I came into the middle of it because I was a little dis- disappointed that all these people <laughs> who could not come to agreements, they were spending a lot of time just kind of yapping at each other instead of really making any headway. And, and that's what I thought about when I was looking at this, this, you know, thinking smart and, and I listen to what you're talking about now even applies you more. I wish I'd, <laughs> wish I had this book then. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> that's a little too long ago though. <laughs> but, um, I, and it just, it just fits really well because being able to use those local resources, the research pull from it to show this is why, you know, we need to have this discussion or whatever. So I like that. Uh, this leads us into part two where you let teachers tell their stories. This is awesome. I, you know, hearing how and what teachers are doing is powerful. I really like, a, uh, is it Elena? Mm-hmm. I really like Elena's creating a buzz about reading. Could you share a little bit about the stories that are shared here? I mean, I, I think this is so cool because you go from you guys being the experts to now let's pull from the classrooms and we're going to let them share their voices. So um, could, let's talk about this. Yeah, you know, and I think the teacher stories are really the heart of the book um, because it's showing how in local contexts, real teachers are doing this kind of work in really different ways. It depends on their context, depends on their issue, depends on so much. So I think it gives, um, like how you liked the template before so much, which is great because it gives a very specific way of doing it, but then you see the actuality of how teachers are doing it, which varies a little bit. So um, yes, I'm glad you like that. It was a super important part for us to get these teachers. So um, I can talk a little bit about some of the stories if that's useful. So Elena, if you would, that'd be, that'd be awesome. I was actually going to ask you if you had a favorite and I was going to ask you to talk a little bit. Oh, I can't, I have like children. You don't have a favorite child. <laughs> Come, on. Come on. There's always a favorite, you know, it's like when, it, when authors tell me this, it's like, you look at them and go, really? Okay. Now you, you need to understand every child in a family knows that there is a favorite <laughs> and it's usually not them. <laughs> so. Well, I'm not identifying one here because <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> my children say to me that um, the favorite is the one who's just done the last nice thing for me. So nice. they're all saying, am I your favorite child now? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> then you tell the other one. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, but I don't really have a favorite. We can put that on tarot if he has a favorite, but. Uh, <laughs> neither of them. I, uh, oh my gosh. I can't believe neither of you step out there. It's, so but do you know I that. Talk about some of them a little bit. If let's that, do that. Let's do that. Um, so you mentioned Elena. Um, Hers is a very special one to me because she attended one of the workshops that I facilitate on everyday advocacy in the summer. Um, she created that um, template that you saw in the in the last chapter and um, really did this amazing work to try to change how people think about reading in her community. So that was pretty awesome. And she switched schools um, after she did this project. She's transferred to a different school. And the cool story with that is the teachers who are there have taken it up and are continuing to do it. So it didn't just end because she left, which I think is a really important thing about developing community. So I really love that. Um, Rick Joseph, who's in the book, uh, he was a former Michigan Teacher of the Year, and he came to our summer workshop after he'd just been named that because he wanted to work on his platform, so to develop a platform, so a really different context and really different experience. Um, and he, was, he developed a platform around inclusion and especially working with LGBTQ students. Um, and so his chapter then focuses on classroom things that he's done to try to make books available that some people would consider controversial, you know, with the students and what do you do about advocacy in that. 
the other teachers in the book never took any of the workshops um, that we're talking about. So they've just been doing advocacy in different ways. Um, Jeff Austin writes about, uh, he's got this really cool writing center going in a local high school, um, but he does it a little differently from some. And so he talks about how the advocacy that he had to do to get it to appear in the first place, but then how he's helped his students to become advocates for it. And so the students are doing all kinds of advocating within the school community and beyond to have the writing center work in the way they want to. Oh, there's more. Um, so Kristen um, Strom, she writes about how she uses social media as an advocacy tool and especially for professional development. I think that is really interesting. Um, Christine Dawson and a group of classroom teachers write about this longstanding writing group they have that how they rely on each other in this writing group to help with individual advocacy projects and how they try it on in each other. So that's kind of a, a great thing about how we do this in community with others that it's not just an individual thing. Um, and Janelle Bentz, um, you know, she's very, she's changed her teaching so much over the years, but she really wants kids to be able to go behind standardized testing. So her chapter is all about how she uses Twitter with her students so the community knows what other things are doing um, besides standardized testing that demonstrates to the community the learning that's going on in the classroom. So you can see they're all different and it depends on the community and they're all doing such interesting kinds of things. So we were very fortunate to have these stellar teachers um, write and share these stories with us and with readers of this book. And I, I love it. And I love the fact that they're all different. They're not, it's not like that. Like you said, the, the one gentleman attended the, the program and many of the others did not. And uh, that's a, you point that out in the book. And I think it's, it's cool because it just can show teachers that it's not like you had to go to a program here. Here it is. And uh, love that. So what I'd like to do is, uh, you know, something that I really like at the conclusion of each of these examples in part two is the section called what we noticed as we read this chapter. Could you talk about why this section was added to each of these? And I think it's really cool, by the way, this is, you know, my, my colleagues, I get geeky about the way books are formatted and, and it's neat though, because it's, it, it gets you thinking about this. So can you share that? Yeah, I think part of this stems from, uh, I think we, what Kathy just shared, right? So if we know that a couple of these folks joined uh, the workshop and they had, you know, this kind of guidance that, that framed particularly around the first two chapters of this book, not everybody had that same experience. And so what we were hoping was, one, give some kind of like bullet points, you know, some some gisty stuff of like the big takeaways and, and extrapolate them in a way that that is accessible for everybody. Um, so that maybe my context isn't about opening up a, a literacy center um, for young people, but there's still principles from, you know, Jeff Austin's chapter that that are going to be applicable regardless of what context you're in. And so we want to, you know, make that a little bit clearer for everybody. And then we also want to kind of offer a little bit of a unified vocabulary. Not everyone's using the four S's uh, in, in the way they're describing the moves they're making as an everyday advocate. And so hopefully we're, we're making a little bit of a clear connection between the stories and the narratives they're saying and the ways that we'll, we'll open those up. The other thing that happens in, in the end of each of these chapters and the what we notice part um, is we offer some discussion questions and some considerations for people to think about. And these really are for you to take as, a, as the reader back to your own practice, right? As I'm hearing what Janelle was doing in her classroom, what are ways that I might be able to do something similar to that? What are the kinds of adaptions I might make. And so we're hoping that this is, this is uh, the, the end of these chapters might be for 
um, some group professional learning community practice. It might be something that if you're a pre-service teacher educator, this might be something to use in your classroom uh, and, and think about in your teacher ed courses. And so, you know, this is, this is a way to, uh, to make the planning purposes for other educators a little bit easier, as well as to make the kind of self-guided learning um, even more adaptable for your own purposes. Excellent. Excellent. And it, and it works very well like that. I, I, I just, just, you, you start thinking about what you read and I, and I think the whole idea about being able to, even though the stories are awesome, that you don't have to get so caught up in the stories as much as the processes that, that these different teachers put in place. And uh, it, you might forget about that. <laughs> and so this helps bring you back onto that planet. I like that. You know, Part three of uh, Everyday Advocacy is titled Centering Advocacy in English Teacher Education. As in part two, there are stories shared by, in this case, teacher educators, promoting teacher advocacy. Why, why do you think that is important to include discussions about understanding the need for everyday advocacy in teacher education programs? Yeah, and Tara talked a little bit about this earlier, so I'm just going to um, piggyback on some of the stuff he was saying then. So we know that teachers are so under fire from many segments of the population who don't totally understand what happens in classrooms, right? Um, it's an interesting profession, right? Because everybody's been through school, so everybody knows something about it. Um, but it, it makes it complicated, right? And unfortunately, this impacts how and what teachers can teach, you know, and how what teacher, uh, students can learn um, because of this, because everybody has a say and everybody people can legislate what happens without really knowing what's actually happening in classrooms, right? So the traditional education model that most of us went through, Ontario and I went through, you might have gone through, Stephen, um, was this idea that talked about content knowledge and pedagogical knowledge, right? That you need to know the content you're teaching and you need to know how to teach it. And we don't think that's sufficient anymore in this climate, um, that there's like another leg of this uh, what would you call it, a triad, there's another leg of that, that um, teachers need to also learn how to let others know what they're teaching and why they're teaching it. And so they need to figure out ways to uh, reach out proactively to administrators, to parents, to other teachers from the example that you gave about the teachers, right, who are arguing about the books. Um, they need to know how to do that. Um, they need to know how they can change the narrative and by changing the narrative about education, that's really the only way we're gonna be able to retain the kinds of research-based best practices that we know work in the face of standardized curriculum, standardized testing, um, the kinds of teaching that is, you know, here's your script and just do your script, right? If we wanna combat that, we need to know how to speak truth to power, how to get the word out there about that. And ultimately it's about what the students are learning and how are we gonna do this in smart ways? So. We really think teacher education courses are the beginning of this, right? If this becomes just an everyday part of what you're learning when you go through the College of Education to become a teacher, if you develop this everyday advocacy mindset from the start of your career, it's going to become an innate part of what you do. It's not going to feel like that add-on. It's just going to be part of. Um, and that's why we think it's really important to do it in teacher education classes from the very beginning. It's Awesome. And I, and I, and I love that because it's, and just as a side note, I mean, where most administrators come from is one they one day they were in a teacher education program and became teachers and then eventually become an administrator. And, you know, that's the part of the world that's, that's happening right now. It's big in my state is administrators understanding that they need to 
talk with lawmakers. They need to learn how to, to, you know, share with them what's going on in their schools. They need to figure out how to meet with state board members and, and, you know, any number of those entities that uh, can uh, listen to them talk about what's going on in their, their community as well. And I think this, it's very appropriate in, uh, in these pro, you know, programs of study as they're becoming teachers to see that this is a role that we have to play. So very cool. Um, after reading your book, Everyday Advocacy, Teachers Who Change the Literacy Narrative, where should a classroom teacher begin if he or she would like to become better at everyday advocacy? And what's that very first step, you think? Yeah, I think the very first step is hopefully a small one, right? I, I think, you know, the, this, this idea is you're not, you're not going to build the new school tomorrow and you're not going to I think we have this kind of Hollywoodification of what advocacy in schools looks like. And it's, you know, these, these uh, beautiful superstar like teachers who go in and, and transform things overnight through hard work uh, without ever kind of breaking a sweat at the same time. And it's just, it's just not a fair perspective or it's not a fair representation of what our profession is like. And so I think the, the very obvious ways to think about this are uh, that the way you start is, is small and you start in the here and the now. And so I, for teachers who are interested in, in doing this work, I think it's about looking around in your current context, be that on, on Zoom screens and in online learning and management systems, or maybe in the hybrid classroom model that, that you're currently teaching in, and think about what are the things that um, most need the support, that my students most need support around right now? What are the ways that I could make this practice even more efficient or easier uh, or more engaging, right? Like kind of pick the thread that you want to kind of pull on a bit as an English teacher and, and think about, you know, what is the small move I could engage with now that could potentially snowball into a bigger thing, or at least becomes the kind of pool of area that I'm going to work in, right? And I'm not going to cause a ton of damage if I screw it up, right? But at least I'm going to figure this out and, uh, and make a step towards figuring out wh what are the practices that I need to develop? What are the kinds of refluxes and muscles that I need to work on as an advocate. And I think that's, that's where we start is start small, start here, start now. Don't look at the past examples. They don't, they don't work at all in 2020 um, and, and build from there. Excellent. Excellent. The, uh, you know, Kathy and Antero, we're getting close to finishing up. And before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you and, and or learn more about everyday advocacy, teachers who change the literacy narrative, where would you send them? Well, one place is we do have a website um, that existed long before the book, um, everydayadvocacy.org. And uh, it is in the midst of undergoing a facelift and change, but it still exists right now as it is. And I'm hoping in a month or two, uh, it's going to be the, the new vision of it. But, um, you know, that came first, that the website came out of the workshops that we were doing with teachers um, and teachers feedback. So some of what's in the book um, was on the website, but the website has like all kinds of other tools and examples and ways you can go about it. And especially ways if you're um, a teacher educator or if you're a teacher leader, if you're a writing project director, something like that, things you can use there. So that's one place I think that'd be useful for people to get um, some help on it. Of course, you know, we're, we're kind of geeks about this. So we're willing to talk to people if they uh, have questions or want to just reach out and ask a question. Um, I'm, I'm speaking for you too, Ontario. I hope that's okay. Um, people can reach out to either of us and, you know, we would be happy to give our two cents on what you're doing. Excellent. So I'll, I'll put that information in the show notes. And uh, so the website, as well as um, some contact information, and they'll be able then to, uh, if they'd like to reach out, that's where they can find that information, which would be, uh, which would be excellent. Um, so 
I've got these last two questions, um, Kathy and Antero, before, before we go, and they're not related. Um, they're just questions I like to ask my guests. So here we go. So the first one's like this. When life gets tough and you start getting so much stuff thrown at you that you may want to quit, how do you keep going? I'm going to start this question, but Kathy, I hope you chime in on this too. Uh, you know, uh, Kathy mentioned that I, I had twins uh, right before, I think in the midst of working on this, on this book. Um, and th they both might be the, the when life gets tough and the what keeps you going at the same time, right? They, I think they do both of those at the same time. I think there's a lot of rejuvenation and family uh, and in, you know, kind of being grateful for like all of the stuff that's happening around us. I do think kind of pulling this closer to the book itself though, um, I've, I've gone through waves of feeling demoralized and frustrated by what it means to be a teacher and the kinds of demands that we put on teachers. But, you know, I really want to center the voices of the teachers and teacher educators in this book and recognize that they really, they really do instill a recognition and hope and optimism for what's possible in public schools right now in the ways that um, even, even when, you know, our districts and our school systems offer them very little in terms of support, if, if anything at all, um, these teachers are doing amazing, amazing work for, for the kids in this country right now. And that, that is, you know, a really powerful narrative that reminds me of why we do the work that we do. I love that. And I think that is 100% true. Um, the other thing, I, so this is something that happened to me yesterday. Um, this tough week, as we know, um, you know, I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but this is election week and it's, it's a tough week. It's a stressful week for many of us. And I've been feeling uh, pretty down right now. Um, and so in preparation for this talk today, I reread um, parts of the book. You know, there's a long time between when you write a book and when it's published and then when you talk about it. So nice. I'm like, I'm going to reread this to remember what we said. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, so I was really struck by the idea of the short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals. Um, because I think that I, despite me knowing this and having worked in, I mean, I've been doing this kind of advocacy work for, I don't know, 15, 20 years with teachers. Despite knowing it in my heart, I still want to go to the long-term before I do those other things. And so when I was rereading the book yesterday, I was thinking a lot about that. Okay, so given how I'm feeling right now, what is the short-term of what I can do? And how can that step live to the midterm? I didn't use a template and create a whole template for it, but I could have, right? <laughs> to start thinking about what are the smaller steps I can do to um, make the ways I'm feeling um, turn them into action. So I was thinking about that. And I guess that's one thing. I mean, it's also family. Also, I take a lot of walks. <laughs> Getting out in nature helps me a lot when things are tough. I just walk and look at things and listen to birds. Excellent advice, for both of you. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you sharing because there's a lot of uh, a lot of need for uh, advice on this thought because uh, you know a lot of my listeners are they're feeling lots of things coming at them all at once and from all different directions. And I appreciate it, that that advice for them. So thank you. Uh, last question I want to ask you both: Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it, and what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Do you want to go first, Ontario? Do you want me to? I, I can go first, I guess. Uh, I will give probably the obvious answer that I need to say. Of My, my mother was a lifelong uh, English teacher until she retired and uh, was also my seventh grade English teacher, uh, which was probably the most awkward time, you know, being an adolescent boy in your own mother's classroom. It's probably some Oedipal story to be told for a different podcast. Uh, 
but you know, I learned a whole bunch of stuff probably related to whatever the standards were and whatever is, I think was a whole language movement at the time. Um, and that's all great. Uh, I guess the thing I would say, if given the chance, um, would be one, thank you. Um, but also I, I want my, I want my books back, right? They're, they're probably in her, in her garage somewhere. I need to go and get them from, from her garage. She'd probably appreciate it if I clean out her garage too. Um, so maybe, maybe I'll keep the familial squabbles out of the podcast. Um, but, but joking aside, I am grateful uh, for the kinds of lifelong literacy practice that were instilled in, the, in, in my household as a result of my mom as a teacher. So, okay, that's great. My answer is not going to be as great as that, but I want to, this is what I was thinking about. I have so many teachers in the past, right, you know, who really influenced me to become an English teacher um, because of, they instilled in me a love of literature. They're ones who instilled in me a love of writing, all of that along the way. Um, and I've worked really hard to try to thank them. Uh, I, I often do this as a, uh, in my methods classes, I ask students to write a letter to a teacher or an email to a teacher who influenced them and try to think why it was and to thank them for it. So I think it's really important that we do that. But I wanna say right now, I've been thinking about this a lot. I read this article a couple of weeks ago that talked about um, how we need to have mentors who are both older than us and younger than us. And if you don't have a mentor who's younger than you, then you're not really doing your job to grow and change. And so I think the teachers who've made a difference in my life are the teachers that I've been able to work with in my role as an English educator, like the teachers in this book. I have this amazing teacher research group that um, meets once a month and has for 20 years. Um, there have been different teachers in and out of it, but um, we meet, we have pizza, we have wine, we talk about teaching in the schools, they each have research projects going on, many of them have done the advocacy training. And every time I meet with them, these teachers change how I think about the world. And so I guess those are the ones I really wanna say thank you to. That's awesome. I appreciate you both uh, telling me, sharing your stories and, tell, and, uh, and, and talking with me about that. It's uh, Kathy and Antero, thank you so much for talking with me today. Your book, Everyday Advocacy, Teachers Who Change the Literacy Narrative, is an excellent tool for helping teachers and teacher educators understand the role they can play in changing our conversations about education. I'm wishing you the best in all that you do. Thank you so much for having us. This has been really fun. Yeah, thank you. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey!